Steve Huntley spent 30 distinguished years in Chicago journalism with the Chicago Sun-Times. When I was with the other paper, back when journalism was journalism, when the papers competed for news, when we were driven to compete, and sometimes we'd knock down a scoop if the other side got it first. Back when the Sun-Times and the Tribune covered something called news and tried to keep opinion out of the news sections and tried to keep opinion out of the feature sections and tried to keep opinion out of the garden sections and out of the sports sections. Back when diverse opinion was welcomed, not canceled and trampled by the stampede of the woke, which forced Barry Weiss to leave the New York Times and forced me to leave the paper. Steve Huntley and I worked on opposite sides of the street then, back when the Trib and the Sun-Times actually covered Bond Court, for example, and the decisions of the judges and the prosecutors to separate the predators from the law-abiding. And now, neither paper does a real good job of it. Perhaps the answers to the questions they know they'd find bother them, and they don't want to hear about it. Only CWB Chicago does that important job now, and well. Understanding all this, well, language is critical. Understanding how language has been twisted in a 2022 version of George Orwell's Newspeak is also critical. Can a free republic survive the onslaught of Newspeak, which erases heretical thoughts as newspapers become silos of opinion? Your silo, my silo, and we're separate, and we're not engaged in discussion in the public square because there is no public square. We'll ask him today on this edition of the Chicago Way podcast. Huntley, the former feature writer, Metro reporter, Night City editor, Metropolitan editor, columnist, and editor of the Sun-Times editorial board, is our guest. A long and experienced career. He's written a few great columns lately for your favorite website, for common sense, johncastnews.com. And maybe we'll talk about those, too. And Jeff Carlin, executive producer of WGN Radio, is here. As always, co-host, as always, now transitioning to becoming a physics teacher to explain how the universe works to a new generation. And I'm John Cass, husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian, editor-in-chief of John Cass News. Where are you with Lori screaming, with nuance stepped on, with the important arguments surrounding the limits of the Constitution, are subjected to loud partisan barking, and a quasi-religious cancel culture fundamentalism of the left, as the mayor shouts her vulgarity, as violence is encouraged to accelerate in language, in politics, on the streets, and everywhere? 
Hold on to that copy of 1984. Steve Huntley is here, and you're on the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+. Plus. Look, the, the, the Chicago Way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago Way. The Chicago Way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river, Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. As I promised, our guest is Steve Huntley, veteran, long time, 30 years in the Chicago news business. He wrote for the Sun-Times. I wrote for the uh, the paper. And uh, we were kind of in competition, kind of but not really because we were writing about different things. But I guess he might must not have liked me. There's some, he's got to have some resentment somewhere. I used to refer to the Sun-Times as uh, Daily's News back in the day. And uh, I, I want to hear about that resentment now, <laughs> if it can come to the surface. Steve Huntley, <laughs> welcome to the Chicago Way, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you very much for having me. Well, Steve, thanks for joining us. I, um, when, when John was telling me about one, that, hey, we should talk to Steve in the podcast. I was like, that's a great idea because I love the idea of what was it like? You know, what was it? They're, they're two paper town, a uh, big political scene, all eyes in the city. And you guys are, you know, kind of competing papers. W- was there that feud mentality? I mean, it was- yeah, there was a feud. I uh, absolutely. I mean, it, I mean, it goes back a long way. I think you go back. Uh, the thing that captures Chicago newspapering is front page, and the best movie ever made from it was His Girl Friday. But uh, there's a lot going <laughs> on in that play in that movie. But the undercurrent and the uh, the uh, excitement of the competition and how fierce the competition was between. Uh, the various newspapers, uh, of course, back in the 30s when that play first came out, it was uh, sure. there were a lot more newspapers. But uh, even today, there's two newspapers in Chicago, and uh, they battle it out every day. And uh, I went in when I was uh, night city editor, when I was metropolitan editor. Uh, you know, I that was a uh, part of my job, shouldering that competition and making sure we were doing the best uh, we ever could. And uh, we were a little smaller newspaper, but we had a fierce, dedicated, enthusiastic staff. And I always said that when a big story broke, I never went to bed that night worried about being bitten by the Tribune. And uh, I will boast, and John can dispute it, but I think the record is pretty good on that. He's still, he's still, I can, the sometimes guy comes out of them still, even though the, now we're, we're no longer in our respective right. newspapers. But, you know, Steve, the, um, you turn a battleship or an aircraft carrier, it's not like a bass boat. 
you cannot turn a bass boat. Uh, you can turn a bass boat faster than an aircraft carrier. And I've always felt that the Tribune was kind of like the aircraft carrier. It was too unwieldy bureaucratically. Um, and uh, you guys were a smaller, uh, lighter vessel that could turn quickly. And, and you showed it in breaking news all the time. Back in the day, we used to, Jeff, we used to, if we had a scoop or they had a scoop, the, the first priority was to knock, knock it down, whether or not that was the stated priority of the newspaper. You mean like discredited or, or just, you know, what, what do you mean knock it down? What do you think knock it down means? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, to me, it, just knock it, knock have a better headline or a better story. Is that the idea? Let's Steve explain, Steve. You know, you came back the next day and shift the focus. You know, find another story to go after. Find another story to emphasize. Contrary to published report, the mayor did not grow a third eye in his forehead. Something like that. Sometimes there would have been of that, I guess. Right. <laughs> Contrary to published reports, that was the. I guess that if you're if you were a sophisticated reader of newspapers, you'd read that and see like the knife slipping in, you know, yeah. <laughs> and and just perhaps imagine the next day at the city hall press room with yeah. uh, Franz Spielman coming after me, <laughs> and I loved her too. She was she's very good, and I think the best at what she does. And um, fantastic, she is. Yeah. For sure. I never worried about City Hall when I was Metro editor. <laughs> I bet. So, I mean, was it cordial or was it that always like that? It always, you know, uh, don't don't get in, in with those guys or the Sun Times guys or don't the Tribune guys are jerks. Don't go around or you go you if you ever interacted with it just to be like, what the hell, you know? Wh- wh- or was it chummy? Because it's I feel like it's ch- not necessarily in, in the newspaper world, but in like the media world of of, of reporters and different. Uh, outlets were very chummy, but I, not uh, that wasn't the case then. I assume it's not ancient history. Damn it! Uh, it's like <laughs> two days ago, you know? know. But um, look, the Tribune was like the uh, like say a guy who likes to wear bow ties, you know? <laughs> okay, all right, and uh, and use fifty dollar words when a ten dollar word or good $5 word will do. Mm. And they, there was a certain perception of the Tribune as being full of itself where the yeah. sometimes, the sometimes had this perception of itself as, you know, they're the gritty city newspaper and, uh, and it's just playing to playing to perceptions and stereotypes. And in the middle of all this were great editors like Steve Huntley, uh, like, uh, many at the Tribune, uh, pushing their troops, and good reporters on the ground, both sides. Somehow we lost all that. I don't know what happened. We started writing about racist trees. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how that happened, but I'll let Mr. Squeaky test. Well, I, I mean, the, uh, the collapse of uh, classified advertising uh, with the coming of the net was uh, devastating to uh, newspaper objectivity. Uh, or you, yeah. were, you could always, in the past, you depended on advertising uh, 
I mean, you needed circulation, don't get me wrong, but you depended on advertising uh, as the main source of the funding for your for, for your newspaper. And so you could, you know, objectivity mattered. Uh, but when the advertising disappeared, uh, newspapers, wrongly, I think, but felt that they had to uh, start appealing to certain audiences. And uh, so therefore... This newspaper has got to be liberal. Well, most of them have got to be liberal in the day. It, it, it seems like the conservative ones are, if they do go that way, are very few and far in between. But anyway, they, the, the feeling was the newspaper audience was was liberal, progressive, and in some cases, ultra-liberal, progressive. Uh, look at the New York Times and Washington Post over recent years. So uh, it's a... Uh, it's a driven by what's going on in papers is driven by a lot of things, uh, culture certainly, but uh, economics also. And we, like I can only say it one more time, the collapse of uh, classified advertising is just uh, devastating to newspapers. Sure. In, in order to keep it, keep the business going, people, be, uh, newspapers began to play to the prejudices of the dominant group in their circulation culture, right? Yes, and absolutely. so in Chicago, uh, the, you know, with the with the public workers union so uh, organized politically, it was a seamless transition to writing, you know, what the AL, uh, what the CIO and the um, Chicago Teachers Union and the uh, SEIU wanted and um, uh, in both papers. And so. Even the Tribune, which had been nominally conservative, uh, uh, became lost as it as it pursued uh, a woke agenda to the point where it was unrecognizable. Yeah. I, I think, and that's too bad. But what is, what do you, let, let me ask uh, our guest Steve Huntley? Who's he says he's in his bio? It says retired, but of course you're not retired, Steve. If you're still writing, and you are. Yeah. Um, what happened to I know what happened to me but what happened to Steve Huntley in, as this transition oh well I, I, I missed the worst part of it I uh, I you know I retired from the Sun-Times uh, in 2015 and uh, I think the worst of what's happened has happened since then so I mean I, I, I was getting up in years by then and uh I decided. Uh, I also, the factor is that uh, I had moved out of Chicago, and uh, I was doing what a lot of people have done the past couple of years, working remote. And I didn't like it. I I, I missed the excitement of being in the newsroom, and, uh, you know, having the interaction with uh, uh, reporters and editors, and just. Uh, the energy and the creative spirit that you find in a, in a in a good newsroom, and so I like I said, I spent several years working remote, and uh, I didn't like it. And uh, I was politics seemed pretty dull back in 2015. Who knew Trump was coming along? But uh, uh, I <laughs> not retired. So I, I kind of had this like working model of newspapers in my head, and I'd love to get your take on it. But you know, there's the idea that that the news is is the, in theory, the the purest form of, of like this journalism, right? In my opinion, and that the idea that you that that's you know bringing it out, bringing it correctly, bringing it unbiased is is the, the goal, and then the rest of the paper kind of 
fills out the rest of you know, the interest. You've got uh, things in health and enter- entertainment, which is you know sports and all that that blanches out of that. Has there have you seen the, that papers that that blend that balance between news, say 50, 60, 70 percent news and thirty uh, percent lifestyle or entertainment or things that aren't news? Do you or hard news rather? Do you have you seen that? shift over the years and is there anything to that as as far as the where we are now as far as newspapers go again i just think this the big problem is is culture i mean i grew up and got in the newspaper business and you know what i like to think the golden age of newspapers when Mm -hmm. we believe that we served an important function in a democrat republic we were mm. to be objective, tried to report both sides of, of a story. Not every story deserves 50-50 uh, coverage, but I'd say 90, 95% of them fall in the area of 60 to 40% coverage. But, mm-hmm. but tried to be objective and uh, tried to, uh, some would say, made the writing sometimes kind of dull and that you had to choose <laughs> an objective word instead of a more exciting one. Mm-hmm. But the point being, we presented up what was going on, the, the two sides, the facts that were available, and presented that to our readers, to the uh, voters in the Democratic Republic to help them uh, to uh, come to their decisions at the polls, and of course to report about what was going on in, in our various communities. And uh, I think when you shift to a viewpoint journalism, for lack of a better word, uh, then you're not really committed to that. I recently saw, it wasn't in a Chicago paper, but a, uh, a article uh, exploring one of the uh, trans issues, uh, sports issue. And this, they were, uh, uh, this newspaper was all aboard for the uh, trans women competing against biological women in sports. Mm-hmm. And an opposing view was not presented in that article until the second jump into the, uh, you know, it went from the front page, jumped to a second page, and then jumped to a third page. And it wasn't until that second jump, the third page, that an opposing viewpoint was presented and then pretty much dismissed. That's not newspapering as I grew up with it. But it is the newspapering of today, is yes. it not? Yes, it is. And that because if you, I guess, just to take that one subject, if you object to biological males, born males um, competing with women, um, you're, what, lumped in the J.K. Rowling category where you're shunned? Yes, you're a transphobe. I mean, I think the tide is starting to turn a little bit against against that. uh, But uh, you're right. You're right. there are no there are no two sides to an issue anymore. There's only the culturally correct side and the uh, side of hate. That's the way they would put it. How does a republic uh, survive that? Well, that's a good question. I think we're going to see uh, next coming years and coming decades. I I, I don't know. I uh, that is a, a paramount question. Uh, uh, from the media standpoint uh, right now today, but uh, I think, uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very uh, loaded question. Um, but uh, Steve, at that point, you know, you talk about, you know, I being able to recognize this 
alternate opinion and its position within a, a piece or you know a story. Um, I, what are some of the things you would look for, maybe is to readers? Because I feel like you know, the, the consumers of media, one, are not being you know as children, and, and our education system is not teaching people or enforcing the idea that you're know, being being an objective or being able to balance out things, information as it comes to you and, and weed out what's biased, what's not. That's not a priority. It, the, the priority is this is this is the, the narrative of the world that, that that teachers and school boards or whatever want you to have. And that's it. So I, I don't think anybody knows how to objectively read something, because I don't think most people would, would read a story see that that all oh, this story that the the counterpoint is way buried and then it's dismissed and and not realize that that's bias you know not realize that oh well, no that 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 point of view must have been terrible it was hidden in the back and it was easily dismissed but in reality there have got to be some tips you've got for people out there to maybe look for when they're reading stuff that's just see complete because i know people some people are blind to the fact that, that they've been fed something for so long they don't see this forest for the trees so do you have any help any help there for anybody well I uh, I think uh, for first uh, to go back to a point John made a few minutes ago is that some readers go to certain sources of information to confirm their views. They're not mm-hmm. they're not looking for uh, an opposing uh, point of view, and uh, unfortunately, this applies to uh, both sides of the spectrum: conservatives and liberals. I I know people you know conservatives who just uh, you know, that when I tell them that I read the Sunday New York Times, uh, say they say, "Why in the world would you want to do that?" And I say, "Well, you know, I try to get as broad a viewpoint of what's going on in the world as I can. Yeah. Uh, it's my antenna is uh, adjusted to try to detect uh, BS." <laughs> but uh, I, and uh, you can, you know, like I said, the sad state of the newspapers has been re- has been exemplified by the New York Times in recent years as, as much as any, but. Uh, uh, to find out what's going on in the world today, to a certain degree, you have to adopt that viewpoint of you know just getting your antenna up and reading the other side. I think uh, uh, we are starting to see alternative uh, sources of uh, news, especially community news. Uh, I apologize, John. You uh, you referred to it in one of your columns recently, but there's a, a, a an online outfit that is very good about reporting crime in Chicago, CD. CWB Chicago. CWB Chicago. And uh, I think if we did a tour of uh, cities across the country, we would uh, see uh, alternative news sources like that starting to pop up and uh, maybe the hope of the future. I mean, I think it shows there's an appetite for old-fashioned reporting out there. The uh, what Steve brings up, and he was the night he was a night city editor, and he did did have all these other jobs at the Chicago Sun Times. I want to ask you, Steve, uh, the editor editors in chief, the ones who uh, suggest casually that you know, hey, uh, at a at a meeting, like, hey, I just saw three, I saw a house with three garage doors what is going on with that you know when when jack fuller might mention something like that at our paper uh the the it would filter down immediately and the editors would demand we we do stuff on three garage doors the stories or homes or or the he mentioned if he mentioned squirrels 
uh, a lot of squirrels out there. Then they would run, the Metro editors would run and try. And he, he, he's a friend of mine. And, and he, uh, he basically said, I can't say a damn thing around here without you guys running around and, and uh, trying to push an agenda when I'm just commenting casually on what people, you know, on squirrels or garage doors. And uh, that brings me to an issue. Bond Court, you're the editor now, Steve. You're the night city editor. And I want to know, why is Bond Court not covered? You brought up CWB Chicago, great uh, website. But you'd think that Bond Court would be covered in this city. Uh, you have the issues that you brought up in your recent column on uh, Kim Fox and, uh, you know, the wokeness and the and the kind of language of against uh, putting people in jail who are criminals. And I don't see any bond court coverage in the papers. Mm. Why is that? Uh, I would guess uh, part of it is resources. Uh, you know, it's just not as many reporters. Uh, you have to make assignments as you used to. Uh, something's got to go. And, and uh, what newspapers are covering nowadays are different than what it used to be. But I would say, again, you're getting back to the economics of the newspaper business these days. But uh, I would uh, say that might be as big a factor as anything. Well, give me, you know, you can have, I'll give you a couple sports reporters and some, I guess, uh, what do they call those, social justice warrior reporters. Mm -hmm. But I want somebody to cover bond court. You know, it's just a basic thing, like covering City Hall, covering Bond Court, explaining why. Why does it, why does CWB have to explain? You know, this is the seventieth case in which somebody's right. been charged with uh, on bail, charged with shooting, trying to kill or killing someone in Chicago. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, John, you're right to that. It's it's this idea that CWB is doing it better somehow. I mean, as far as reporting the threads of of an arrest or the drawing connections between uh, people in the news or legal proceedings, but it seems to be all legal or public record stuff. And some you know, reporting from, you know, hey, you get a tip from a cop on the street that seems to be very tightly connected to the police uh, rank and file, but. I mean, are they just not participants not drawing these connections on purpose, or is it being you said resources? Are they just put out stretched to other things that aren't clearly pushing the the, the economy of the paper these days? I mean, it just doesn't make sense that one small outlet that is essentially anonymous can put all this together and draw all these connections and put up all this evidence of of a system that's you know letting cri- criminals go wild. Why? How do we not have reporters doing this? I don't understand it. I'm, of course, not in the newsroom anymore, so I can't provide you a uh, first-hand look. Maybe John, who's more recently uh, there, but again, I would go back to the economics and go back to the culture of what's going on uh, in newspapers, deciding what's important to coverage, and the uh, idea that it's not uh, driven so much by uh, the... uh, 
objective standards of the golden age. I mean, there's a school of thought in uh, journalism today, you know, that you can't be objective, that, uh, that uh, we all are inherently biased individuals and we can't, can't do that. But we've moved away from, from mm-hmm. uh, that concept. And so we uh, kind of go out and uh, report uh, the world as uh, we think uh, and our readers think uh, uh, is the important viewpoint, the important slant, the important uh, 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 attitude. And uh, I think that's the tragedy for newspapers and uh, uh, when you try to interject another point of view, uh, uh, they run into trouble, like John ran into trouble, like Barry Weiss got uh, kicked out of the, or she actually quit, I think, from the New York Times because she dared, on, on the opinion pages, mind you, yeah. advocate for a different, right. a different point of uh, view. Uh, uh, it's just uh, those two factors, culture, number one, and economics, number 1.1, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, for me to uh, adjust them, you know, but I, I fight back against that uh, idea that uh, you can't be objective. Uh, the uh, one of the proudest things I ever had said about me was that uh, when I did retire in 2015, uh, Carol Marine wrote a column for the sometimes very nice. Uh, She's a wonderful journalist and a very generous uh, human being. Yes. She, wrote a, she wrote a very nice column about me. And uh, one thing, uh, she's quoted uh, the attitude of the uh, city room staff was when I went from Metro Editor to become uh, editorial page editor, and it said the attitude in the uh, newsroom was, who knew he had a truckload of opinions? <laughs> <laughs> So I think if you if you work at it, then you, you got to work at it. Uh, you you can present an objective uh, coverage of the news. Well, Steve is uh, too much of a gentleman to toot his own horn, but I will tell you, uh, Jeff yeah. and and audience, that in his recent column uh, called Orwellian Morning Newspeak public safety in Chicago's rising violent crime. He did go into this, uh, Steve, I don't want to speak of you as if you're not there because you're sitting here with us virtually, but um, Steve did go into the whole notion of language and how we cover something. And uh, I, I find this part of the column that he wrote to be uh, extremely important. He writes about Newspeak, Jeff. Yeah. And writes that Newspeak was des- was designed to diminish the range of thought so that unapproved and therefore heretical thought would be literally unthinkable as far as thoughts are dependent on words. And uh, this comes to play when we think about crime and urban crime. We've had um, Heather McDonald talk about what can't be discussed. And uh, Steve mentions undergirding. Yeah. Let me, let me, may I read this out loud, Steve? Is that okay? Please, thank you. There was nothing more foolish. Oh, Orwell wrote that language uh, becomes inaccurate because our thoughts are foolish. 
but the slovenliness of our language makes it easier for us to have foolish thoughts, unquote. And there was nothing more foolish than the election of a wave of woke prosecutors dedicated not to prosecuting crime, but finding ways not to prosecute crime. And in the name of social justice, not the justice's blind standard expected in any sane society, at the forefront of this insanity were Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox and the recently recalled and unseated San Francisco District Attorney Chase Boudin, the child of Chicago. Under their direction, even more laws didn't get enforced and didn't matter. And I think that uh, that sums it up pretty neatly, guys. Yeah. That was a standout line to me too. I mean, that you, we've been talking about this. I mean, the, the the idea that all these actions and these policies that have been put into place are just so nearsighted that at the at their best, and you nail it there. The idea that you can't even question the fact that oh, maybe we jumped the gun, or maybe we moved too far this way or too far that way. We don't even stepping out of line to say that is is you know punishable by a, a shunning or a deplatforming or. Yes. As I know too well. Yeah, right. Yes. It's, it blows my mind. Well, it was a great piece, Steve. I, I enjoyed reading it. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I think, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it is, I think, a critical issue about how we talk about things and about how that language, this movement began in college campuses, you know, and slowly spread through the media and, and, and other places about how we talk about about crime and and about, uh, you know, an, an, an illegal immigrant or an illegal alien, somebody who broke a law to get into country, is now called a the undocumented or, or, or just a migrant. Yeah. Uh, about how we, uh, the, the one, the most damaging abuse of this kind of language, to my viewpoint, is how we have demonized arresting and putting into jail criminals by using the term mass incarceration. A slogan. It just shows you how you go from a small change in the language, illegal immigrant to migrant, to you go to the extreme of saying the police arresting and the prosecutors jailing criminals is something bad called mass incarceration. And it's devastating to the city streets of, of our big cities today. The um, Over the weekend, uh, a five-year-old, a five-month-old baby was shot to death in Chicago. The father pulls up, um, parked the car, I guess the baby was crying, and somebody shot at him. And in all that, I mean, why would someone shoot at the car where the, that the father was driving? Unless, of course, they were trying to kill him, which means it's a gang war. Yeah. But Steve and Jeff, we don't talk about street gang wars. No. Uh, that's kind of taboo. That's like if you mention street gang wars, I guess you're vaguely racist. Uh, when, right. Uh, even though, even though uh, minority people are being cut down in these street gang wars, they're not being shot in, in Western Springs or, or Wilmette. Um, but Steve, why is this? 
Why don't we I, talk it, about I, I this? I can't explain. It's an outstanding. You're, it's an outstanding point. I mean, it's you, you take it another step further in the eyes of Kim Fox and people like that. Crime is not the problem. It's the reaction to crime that's the problem. Uh, we've had uh, there in Chicago this uh, new policy on foot pursuits by police chasing criminals. And it came from two killings over the past year, one with a, a teenager and a young, another a, a young man. And uh, they were killed running from police officers and they had guns. Now, the issue is police pursuit not that these characters were on the street with breaking the law, having a gun. I mean, they'd both be alive today, if, wouldn't they not be, if they didn't break the law by being outside with these guns. They'd both be alive today if they had not run away from the police. But the issue that brought around this pursuit policy is obviously the bigger problem. It's not these guys with guns on the street. The police chasing. Uh, it's it's upside down times, and it's this. You know, the premise I mean, is 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 that the criminals are criminals because of you know systemic racism or bad politics or you know being put put down so that that the the gang member the you know the sixteen year old fifteen year old fourteen year old thirteen year old gang member is now by our chief judge considered a victim, not the perpetrator and i get it we're kids and kids need to be structured and they don't they don't just be born criminals but that premise is so messed up that it doesn't real doesn't even touch reality and deal with the reality that crime is through the roof it's baffling yes the uh years ago when steve and i were both at different newspapers the uh tribune started writing about something called the American millstone. Mm -hmm. And this was perceived as immediately as racist because uh, it was talking about the underclass. That was another word that we used at the time. Um, And, uh, and this created all sorts of problems. Like what were, what are we going to do with the unquote underclass? And uh, as a euphemism for dealing with stuff that we can't deal with, like the schools that don't work and the families that are dysfunctional and the lack of spiritual values and the absence absence of uh, fathers and all this. And uh, we just kind of, we walked around it, you know, uh, for months doing these stories. And I never thought we really... Uh, tried to attack the the story itself because of what Steve and you have mentioned, which is this this pushback in the culture and the language of right in the culture of writing that we couldn't talk about. I don't know how how to say it. The rise of barbarism, the rise of barbaric behavior among certain people. And I didn't want to attribute that to, I never would attribute that to a particular immutable characteristic or uh, like, you know, race thing, but there is a a culture in urban America that is um, being devastated by hopelessness in terms of education and and, uh, fatherlessness and, and, 
crime and then these enablers of the social justice warriors who are papering it over and telling us not to even think about it. And babies are being shot. It's just, or just all through our society. It's not in any one. I mean, it's just all through society. The idea that uh, uh, we can't look at a problem straight in the face, identify it, and say, well, we know what it is. Let's do something about it. It's just, uh, as uh, Jeff put it, we turn uh, criminals into victims, so therefore we don't prosecute crimes. And the result is you get more crime, and uh, what is going to happen? More in victims. In some of our cities, I don't know. Is uh, Detroit the future for Chicago? God, I hope not. But uh, Well, Steve is, in Austin. Steve is in Texas. Can I say that? People yes, have asked yes, me. Um, yes. Somebody asked, was, I was being interviewed by Tom Serafin the other day on his podcast, and they asked where, where you live, and I said, well, I think he lives west of the Mississippi. <laughs> but, I, but I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you mentioned Detroit. Okay, I'm thinking maybe should I move to Detroit? Because I hear Detroit's up and coming now. Is that right? They've, they've got, a, they've got a, a good prosecutor, a prosecutor that wasn't part of this woke wave uh, who – wants to put people in jail who deserve to be isolated from the communities. And uh, you're seeing an effect. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll go to go to Detroit and open up a, like an Elmore Leonard bookstore. What do you think? <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good idea. I mean, that's interesting. I'm uh, obviously out of touch. I didn't realize that was going on in Detroit, but that would, if, if, if that is happening and it's because of the, uh, you know, common sense prosecutors and a common sense governor, government. Uh, I hope that uh, word gets out as an example to uh, the voters in Chicago and elsewhere that have elected these kind of prosecutors and mayors who who uh, adopt this awful viewpoint. Well, Steve Huntley did not want to write about crime in Chicago when I first asked him because he said, well, I'm, I'm not living in Chicago now. I shouldn't I shouldn't write about it, but uh, apparently, Steve, according to my lights, you you know exactly how to write about it, and you did a great job. Um, I'm glad you overcame that. Why did you feel that, uh, I guess, to be a White Sox fan, you have to live in Bridgeport, you know? <laughs> I mean, what what is that? What is all that about? I mean, you're a human being, a thinking man, a, a critical thinker. I don't have an answer to that other than, uh, you know, I felt like I was a thousand miles away and uh, I was uh, worried if I would be off my column writing viewpoint would sound authentic. And I think it has. Thanks. Yes, it does. It does sound authentic. So So what's the next one? What's the next one? (laughs) Jeff wants to know. He wants, he's, he's been asking me, what's the next one? I don't know. I have to think about that. (laughs) I'm looking for Steve. I'm going to, you know, you do what you want, but I would love an editor's guide to sniffing out bullshit. (laughs) 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 Although Steve Huntley would not use that word. Well, yeah. Maybe use that, which the bull leaves behind or something. (laughs) Steve Huntley. Thanks for being here, and thanks for writing for uh, JohnCast News. I, it's a pleasure. I, I just have to say, 
it's it's amazing for me because I was never on the editing side uh, to deal with all these fine writers who are coming over and, and seeking a community. And I'm, I'm just uh, overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed by the, by the care that they put their words together and concern, concern for readers and concern for readers who have different points of view from them. Steve Huntley, thanks, buddy. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Steve. For Steve Huntley, 30 years, Chicago newspaper man, editor of the editorial uh, board at the Chicago Sun-Times, been up to his neck in eardrums and beyond in politics in Chicago, city editor, night editor. He's done it all. And he's writing for the for JohnCastNews.com. And for Jeff Carlin, my buddy. Hope you're good, Jeff. I'm good, Sean. Thanks. That's good, buddy. Uh, a future physics teacher. That's called giving back, Jeff. Uh, and for me, yeah, it is. And for me, John Cass, husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian, editor-in-chief at John Cass News, sitting on my squeaky chair, which drives Steve the pilot insane. (laughs) Sorry, Jeff, I'll get some WD-40 on it soon. Thanks to all of you for listening to another edition of the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+.